How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Man, um, well, we start with saying happy, happy Veterans Day. Today is officially Veterans Day. Tomorrow will be observed. Um, it was always important. Uh, I don't remember why this distinction was always important for my family. Um, there was a big deal that we, we celebrated Memorial Day and, and Veterans Day differently because of their different meanings. So um, if you weren't aware, which I wasn't until it was brought to my attention uh, by my parents, that so Memorial Day is a day commemorating the men and women of our armed forces who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. So they, they have given their life for our freedoms. And then Veterans Day today is a day to recognize who, the people who are currently sacrificing uh, in other ways so that we may enjoy the freedoms that we do. Um, and I feel in so many ways, America, we, we can't completely grasp those freedoms because no one uh, just by age in this room has lived a life without those freedoms. Um, but it's so important that on days like today, we just don't let the day go by. Even if you don't know, I'm not, not even if you don't know anyone in the military currently, or uh, or if you don't have a family member who serves, we can still uh, take time in our day to just uh, take a moment and say thank you for the ability we just have. Like right now, we're going to open God's Word. Um, we just got done singing God's Word, um, and we're going to do that with with freedom. We're going to do that with the understanding. That barring a tragedy, we're going to do that without any kind of oversight because men and women um, pay the ultimate price and are continuing to sacrifice so that we may um, live free, we may worship free, um, and we may uh, take part in this great country. So happy Veterans Day. If you know someone who has served or is serving, uh, take some time today and tomorrow uh, just to tell them how thankful you are and how appreciative we are of the freedoms that we daily Take in. So, how's everybody doing? Good. Lively. <laughs> Man, it's it's a hometown group tonight. I know everyone's first and last name. Uh, you try to do the spatial thing with me where you refuse to sit close to me. Um, and I appreciate it. I mean, y'all are kind of on staff, so like that. You don't get a lot of credit, but you get some credit. You can sit anywhere you sit there. I appreciate that. Um, so I love this time of year uh, because we have some winter vibes. This is actually more wintry than the average Texas November, but we still get some winter vibes. We're busting out our coats. Um, the moderate anxiety of Thanksgiving really isn't upon us yet, and then the overwhelming anxiety that is Christmas is is, is at least a month away. Um, so right now we're just this this anticipation of like, hey, we're not going to sweat for like another four months. I say that. It could be 100 degrees next Sunday. But if everything goes like they say, we're going to have some good weather. Um, we're going to be able to kind of just build up. And as, as Jamin said, um, in a few weeks, we're going to start our Advent series with a, really a service uh, preparing our hearts for Advent. We're going to walk uh, us through just the elements of Advent and talk about how as, as the body of believers, we just live day by day in the already not yet scenario that is Christ's salvation, where he has already saved us, but he has not yet returned. And then all of the things that encompass that. So um, full full credit and disclosure, Jamin's been working really hard on that service. Uh, he's taking that over and, and leading that way, and it's going to be great. He's kind of letting me behind the scenes on some of the elements he wants to see and how he wants to tie them together so we can live our lives in accordance to Advent, because we are always in an Advent season. So I'm just really excited about that. I'm also super excited that election season for the time being is over, so we can unify in love. 
Um, I say that with joking, somewhat of a joke, but some of it like, no, it needs to happen. Like, if, if, if there's going to be a unity, if there's going to be a coming together, it's going to be done by the church, and it's going to be done with love. So I don't necessarily know how Tuesday treated you, and honestly, it's not really my business, but I can tell you from this point on, it is your problem to unify with love, because you are part of uh, the body of Christ. You are a son and daughter of God. Um, so wherever you find yourself, I pray that it's in uh, the aspiration of unity, and then that unity coming under uh, our one true flag, which is Christ. So, this week we're going to continue through our book in Colossians. We're in uh, Colossians 3, if you want to turn that now. We're going to be ending the chapter, uh, chapter 3 in Colossians and beginning chapter 4. We're going to be in uh, chapter 3, 18 verses through verses 4, 1. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's, it's a great... Uh, honesty factor to work through a book of the Bible like that. And I've said it a lot and you've probably uh, I've heard it and I've said it probably at this point, I'm just kicking a dead horse. But one of the reasons we work through scripture the way we do, we, we start at the beginning, we end at the end and we go line by line, um, is because it will force us in every nook and cranny of God's word. And to be frank, this is probably a section if we weren't doing this that I would gloss over because it is, it is intrusive. We're going to talk about family business. Paul's going to tell us how we need to run our marriages. He's going to talk to us on how we need to raise our kids and then how we're going to work. Um, it, is, it is very much an abrasive, in-your-face in description of how you need to live your life day in and day out. And the gospel does that in general, right? So the, Paul has already called you to, to some very high standards. He's called you to put off your old self. He's called you to live as an imitator of Christ. He has said some things that if they were going to step on your toes, they should have already stepped on your toes. But he takes it a, a level deeper um, this week where he says, hey, this is how you should be treating your wife. This is how you should be treating your husband. This is how you should be treating your kids. And this is how you should work. Um, and this, this passage is really important for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons are for you to be able to drive out false na narratives and false gospels, you have to know the one true gospel. And this passage we're going to talk about today has been used and contorted by many a person throughout the history uh, of Christendom, the history of the, of the church, to really say what it, what it wanted to say, where it, it may give over authority to um, a totalitarian husband, or, or it may uh, pave way for us to not be um, uh, so upset with slavery or a bond servant. So I want us today, we're going to just dwell in this passage. We're going to um, take all the marrow we possibly can because um, I want us to understand it. I want us to apply it. And I also want us to know what it was intended to be written and, to and intended to be um, uh, learned. And then so we, when we hear uh, mistruths or we understand it better so we can apply it as it was meant to be. Without further ado, though, will you stand in honor of God's word? I'm going to read it out loud. It's going to be behind us. If you do not have a, uh, if it's not, we have like a Bible every four feet and there's only like 25 of you. So like just grab a Bible. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by eye service as people pleasers, but as sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as you reward. 
as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrongs he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You may be seated. Let me pray over us, and we're going to dive right in. God, thank you for today. Thank you um, for the opportunities we have just to dive into your holy word and, and, and learn together as a body of believers, as your sons and daughters, and as a people who love each other. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the fact that it hits us in our gut and it steps on our toes. God, I pray that your holy word calls us to a better version of ourselves, not for a self-help, but for us to become imitators of you. God, I pray for the next few minutes, whatever distracts us, whatever, whatever hurts our feelings, whatever, whatever hits us where we live in accordance to your scripture, that you would pull that out and that we'd be able to open our minds, open our hearts to the teaching of your word. Amen. All right. Um, so like I said, Paul, Paul just comes out and says that he, he actually writes uh, a similar passage um, in his book, and his letter to the church in Ephesus and Ephesians. And we're going to kind of partner those today just because in some areas Paul expounds more and more. But I want us to just take this in and, and let it just to reign over us. And I know it, it's a... It is an awkward topic for me to come and say, like, hey, I'll, hey, how are you treating your wife? Like, hey, how are you treating your husband? I want, I want to know how you're doing, and I want to see behind the veil, right? So um, too often in, in church and just in life in general, we put these facades up, right? Um, Paul knew that because the irony, he's, he's writing for a Trinity church in 2018 because it's a fluid uh, scripture. It's, it's breathed out by God. So God knew that we needed this in 2018. He knew that there would be a veil, there would be um, some mishaps, and there would be problems inside the family unit that we would need teachings and we would need writings. But at the same time, he's writing specifically and literally to the church of Colossae. He's saying, hey, in, in 60 AD, this church needs this. The same facades, the same veils are getting put over Christian households, and there is a reason things aren't going well. So um, you're going to hear this throughout today, but as the family unit goes, so goes our community, so goes our church, and so goes our nation. There are a lot of people who have a lot of hot sports opinions. And one of the beautiful things about being bivocational, one of the things that I love is that I am not a professional uh, full-time pastor. I am a pastor who professionally and loves you full-time, but I also have an earthly boss. I have, a, I have a job to go to. I have a 40-hour job a week that is not pertaining specifically to this church. And that job, um, I'll get to reference a lot tonight. And that's not by mistake. That's not like, oh, um, that's convenient. I've learned uh, from day one in this church, everything God's called everyone to do in this room is for a reason. We are a called people. We are a chosen people. Yes, for the church, uh, the Big C Church, the, the Church of Believers, but also for Trinity Church. Every person in here has been called to this room, has been called to this time because the church of, of God needs you. Trinity Church needs you. And we need what you bring to the table. And tonight, I'm going to rely a lot on my experience. Experience. So I'm, I'm a detective who works in, in crimes against persons, and specifically I work crimes against children. And I can tell you uh, firsthand that the biggest thing plaguing our society, plaguing our city, state, and country is not drugs, it's not guns, it's not any of the hot sports opinions. It is absolutely the erosion of the family. 
where there is a lack of cohesive family, where, that, where there is a family that is operating outside of God's will, operating outside of God's structure, which he's going to lay out, there is a family that is setting itself up for failure. And I have the heartbreaking job of watching that failure, usually after it's happened. I'm not a proactive detective. I'm a reactive detective. That's how being a detective is. And so many times... Um, there are a lot of excuses made, whether it be, like we said, drugs or economic status or whatever. And those are legitimate things. I'm not, I'm not saying those things aren't bad and they aren't a travesty and they aren't draining down our society. But I'm saying, so the family goes, so society goes. So the family goes, so our children go. The next generation and the next generation and the next generation. <clears throat> so... Without further ado, I, I say that a lot. I feel like a do is something that doesn't normally come out of my mouth. I don't know why. When I put this mic on, I say further ado. <laughs> Let's move past that. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. That's a hot topic, right? If I went into a bar and said, man, I just want my wife to submit to me, I would get a lot of looks. And they would not be good looks. We live in a time of empowerment. We live in a time where uh, we've had women's suffrage. We've had women's rights. They are uh, the equal partner. Uh, throughout the Bible, they are listed as an equal and important partner inside the family unit. There are roles. There are gender roles inside the family and, and inside the Bible that are laid out. But there's never a notion of inequality. And you need to hear that out front. Because the word submission is a really good way to get looked at like nice men to nobody. Right? We don't like to submit. We're Americans. We do not submit. I don't like submitting to anything. I don't like being told what to do. I know it's best for me. I know I need to submit to the will of God because if I do things on my own, it's going to go south. I don't like people telling me what to do. It, it, was, it blew my mind my first days on uh, the beat, if you will, as a, as a rookie police officer. Is, it, it was confounding. It hits you in the face that no matter what you do, it's wrong because people hate being told what to do. They hate the idea that there is a submission or there is a need to obey. But it is important that those two words are not the same and they're not interchangeable in this passage. Paul is saying, women or wives, submit to your husband. He is not saying obey. Because I obey traffic laws. I submit to the will of God. you see the difference? I obey what the laws, maybe because I want to, maybe because I don't, maybe I just know there's a consequence I don't want to deal with. Right? I speed, every one of you speeds, we all speed, but we don't just like throttle it down, not because we're worried about the fact that speeding is unsafe and it kills. No, we don't want to pay the ticket, right? We don't like the consequence that's attached to the action. Submission is very different. Submission is saying, I understand this is the best thing for me. Whether it hurts, whether it's maybe not the best thing as far as I like or, or the things I want, but it is the best thing overall. I'm submitting to the authority. You're not submitting to me. My wife does not submit to me because I'm a sweet dude. My wife submits to me because she understands that uh, there's a person who is God, who is smarter than both of us, who has is, who is invented the institution of marriage. He understands how things are supposed to be worked, and he understands that there is an order to things of how this is supposed to play out. So there is a submission that, that is, is vital for the harmony and the, working sh- the workship of marriage. Now... We're going, to go, we're going to dive into that a little more, but he never just leaves it alone. It's important to know that as Paul writes to the family, he says, wives, submit to your husband. He never puts a period there and then just transitions to a completely different topic. He always hits it up with what I think is a larger claim on the husband's part. There is never a time where you say, hey, just submit, let's move on, let's go about our day. No, he says, hey, submit to your husband, but, but husbands, love your wife. Absolutely love your wife. 
And this is not the American love. This is not a cultural love because we've completely uh, misused and, and almost just made up a new invention of the word love that is really less than like for most cultures. But we say love all the time. But when Paul calls us to love, he's causing, calling us to an agape love, a sacrificial love, a serving love, just as Christ has showed the church. He's talking about the same love that's described in 1 Corinthians 14, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not arrogant, love is not rude, it does not insist on its own way. That's vital, right? So if you're going to say, hey, women submit, but there is a submission under an umbrella of godly love. The fact that, yes, I'm going to let you lead our family. You are the person who God's placed in charge of the family. But at the same way, and even maybe a a taller order, is the husband saying, you have to love your wife. You have to to do all the things that encompasses a godly love that is written in Corinthians. You have to do all of those things because it's, it's a partnership. It's, it, it's a marriage. It is, it is a twofer. You can't do one. One doesn't make sense without the other. And we move on. And as Paul transitions to the, this is how marriage, this is the beginning of a family, right? The first thing that constitutes a marriage biblically is, is the partnership of, of husband and wife. And the second thing that grows that family is, is the birth of kids. Um, and he, he quickly transitions to how those kids should be raised. And he says, children, obey your parents. My parents preach me that all the time, right? Like, there's no, there's no better God card than the actual God card of my, of my parents saying, like, you need to obey because, one, I want you to, but, two, it says that you should, and it's the only commandment. I heard this so many times. Everyone probably knows where I'm going with this. If you have any church DNA, but I can't count how many times my parents said, you need to obey. It's the only commandment that's going to add to your life. And forever I thought that was made up. Forever I was like, nah, that doesn't sound right. But no, Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother that the days may be longer in the land that your Lord God is giving to you. There is, a, there is an instance here where God is saying, hey, the order of the family is vital. There's supposed to be submission. There's supposed to be love. But then there has to be an obeyance. There has to be children who are supposed to obey their parents. But this is not a bribe. This is not God saying, hey, children, obey your parents so he can get them to eat vegetables or he can get them into bed. No, he's revealing a plan that will usher in a new generation of believers. He is calling the wife to submit. He's calling the husband to love and the children to obey because he knows when all of these things are done in concert, people come to know their Savior. People come to know and become the sons and daughters. He's saying, if there is a wife who is willing to submit to the authority of a godly husband, and that godly husband is is there to love the family like Christ loved the church, and under that love you have children who are obeying, then you have a family unit that is imitating the cause of Christ. You have a family unit who is walking line and step, shoulder to shoulder to the cross. And that is how lives are changed. That's how societies are changed. That's how churches are built. When we have people operating inside God's order and God's plan, that's when lives are changed. That's when we become our new selves that Paul's already written. Paul's already said you got to put that old self out. you gotta, you got to kick it to the curb because there is a new way. There is a way that we are called to live, but there's an order to it. And a lot of times, like I said earlier, I'm going to readdress, that order has been completely forsaken. There's a reason why the family is eroding, and there's a reason why our culture is eroding, and they're completely linked. There is not, our, our culture is not eroding because there's too much bad things on TV. 
We, this culture in America, 2018, are not larger sinners than the group of Americans who were living in America in 1960 or the 1900s or in the Greek or the Roman. We were all born sinners. We're all going to die sinners. Sinner, sinning hasn't changed. The erosion of the family unit, the understanding of what it takes to be imitators of Christ inside a household has absolutely changed. And we are living the consequences of those decisions. Alright, Colossians 3.22, we then transition into bondservant. Bondservants here is, is literally translated into slaves, and I want to push pause, because it is, it is very different, but it is, it is literally just the word translation. Um, it's really important uh, that we spend some time and, and work through this, because the slavery that, is, is, that Paul writes about in his letters is not the same slavery that we are accustomed to in our American history. But this passage has been grossly misused and misinterpreted, which has led side to the church uh, coming down really on the wrong side uh, of racial issues, coming a, ways, uh, a, uh, a good time ago when, when slavery was an institution of America. It, this, this passage and passages like these really led to the church coming down the wrong side. There were a lot of churches that thought slavery was an okay thing in America because of the misinterpretation and the misapplication of this passage. So I want to walk us through this because I want us to know the truth that is our Bible. I want us to understand what we're called to do, and I want us to, to own it. Okay, So a bondservant um, may mean the same word in, in, in this passage as a slave, but slavery had a, really, a real different usage then. They were called bondservants and slaves, but it meant like an indentured servant. So what was really common um, in this day and age is there was no repo men. There were no debt. You didn't go into like debt and then pay it off and you have a credit score. That didn't exist in the world that Paul is writing to. What would happen is if I owed a debt, I simply could not pay. There was no way I was going to pay it and I was just going to live a life of debt. There was an opportunity for me to sell myself into a, a servitude, an indentured servant, into slavery. And I would live my life in servitude, servitude to this master, slowly paying off. Off the debt. And after a while, um, depending on the debt and depending on how, how large it was and the work I was doing, there was an opportunity for me to work for my freedom or I may just live a life working for this person. Um, it's important to see this though, the, the difference of American slavery in this. Um, and I'll be frank, like, it, it breaks my heart that I have to continually preach throughout the years that I, I've been y'all's pastor of the fact that um, any kind of supremacy, whether it be white, whether it be uh, any form of supremacy, is in direct contrast to the gospel of Christ. Like Paul writes to this with really um, no end. Um, but, but look simply to like the passage we've already, we've already talked about when verses three, uh, chapter, sorry, chapter three, verse 10, where he says, put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is continually writing the fact that there, the fact that sins have been paid for. We are all on the same playing field. There is no supremacy. There is none of that. But what Paul is calling us to in this passage, he's saying, hey, if wherever you do, whatever you are, however you're working, whether you're a bondservant or a master, you have to work as Christ is your boss because Christ is your boss. There is a, an opportunity no matter what you're doing. Our job field here is, is very... Uh, 
different in a lot of ways. Actually, like 90% of you are salesmen, but the rest of us aren't. Um, but as you as you work in your, your life and as you work in whatever trade God has called you to, it's important to be reminded of that, that yes, you have a boss and they can tell you what to do and you have to do it or you have to find a new job and there's an economic uh, consequence to you rebelling against your earthly boss. But at the same time, he is your earthly boss, but you are serving him as you are serving God. And when I say that is, there are always ways to cut corners. There are always ways to look busy and not be busy. That's what we're talking about eye service, but no, work wholeheartedly um, because Christ is our Lord. So when you are at work Monday through Friday or whatever days you work, it's important to realize what you are doing is your calling. Too many times we think a calling has to do with a pastor. But I can tell you right now, I've been equally called um, to be a pastor as I am to be a detective on crimes against children. I feel that calling every day. I pray that whatever you do for economic money to sustain your family, you feel that calling. You see God's hand in what you're doing. And when you see God's hand in what you're doing, I pray that it becomes uh, evident that what you're doing matters and that when you, when you work out that, that Christian work ethic that gets um, made fun of a little here and there, but it's true, our, our Christian work ethic should outdo the person sitting next to us who's a non-believer because we are doing all things for the glory of God. And a lot of times when we think, I'm doing all things for the glory of God, we're talking about reading our Bible, or praying, or singing, raising our kids, loving our wife, all that kind of stuff. No, all things means all things. When you're closing that deal, you're closing that deal for the glory of God. When you're doing, I don't know what the rest of you do. I, all I have is sales analogies. I know uh, that Jason builds things, and that's cool. I don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way, but build things for the glory of God. So um, there, there's a lot of connotation inside of those passages, but the two things I want you to take from it is, one, any supremacy, any notion that one race is, is better than the other is, one, heresy. It's false. It's been um, completely uh, been uh, written by the author of lies and is in direct opposition of the gospel. And when you see um, passages like this calling you to to work hard for your earthly master because you actually have a heavenly master, that is you knowing that, yeah, I got a boss and he may be a sweet dude or he may be a jerk. I don't know. But whatever you do, you are fulfilling your calling and you're doing all things for the glory of God. So before we close up, I really want us to, to land back on what it is to have a faithful household. Um, because Paul really transitions pretty hard here. He goes from a whirlwind of theology that was the beginning of chapter 3 in Colossians where he's laying down, hey, be imitators of Christ. Put off your new self. Put, the, put your mind on the things that are above. He's saying some things that you could really put on a coffee cup. Those are called coffee cup verses. Dare you to put this one on a coffee cup. Go to work and say... Wives, submit to your husbands. And just see what happens to your coffee cup. <laughs> just see if it may just go missing. may find it in pieces. It is, it is a passage that is less popular than the put your eyes on the things that are above, but, but is equally important. We just have to walk through it. Because um, I think we have to understand here that something is radically wrong with our households. Something is radically wrong with our home. Uh, divorce is not a, a lost person's problem. The, the statistics for divorce and broken homes are equal inside the church and outside the church. There is no difference. And they are equal inside of, of pastoral homes than they are outside of pastoral homes. That should break our hearts. 
Because if, if you're a non-believer, there's a really good chance you haven't read this passage. But if you are today, you're hearing this and you know these things to be true. Um, it may hurt a little bit in, in the culture that we live in. Um, it may feel a little weird to ask someone to submit to your authority. Um, but when we, when we break down what it actually means, I think we're going to see that there's peace in that. There's peace when, you're, when your family home, when your household is, is serving and honoring God in the fashion that it was designed. And there is hostility and there is tension when it is not. There is a reason homes are breaking. It's not um, this big whodunit mystery. But when you have uh, husbands not loving your wife, and you have wives not submitting to their husbands, and then you have children not obeying, there is no hope, right? There, there's, no, there's no chance that we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and live godly lives apart from the teachings and the ways of God. So I've been married for eight years, and um, man, it's been amazing. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I don't, you, you will not... I, I can see this would be hard to believe because I'm working on becoming more uh, bubbly, maybe the wrong word, or soft. Uh, I didn't used to hug anyone, and now I give out half hugs like they're going out of style. I'm not saying it's the most natural thing. I'm not saying that I'm great at it. I'm just saying I'm willing to have human touch, and that's important as a pastor. We actually hired Jamin because he's more huggable than me. Um, you think I'm laughing? We've had meetings about, like, sorry, guys, I forgot to smile all Sunday, and I'm just lucky that these two guys smile a lot. Um, but uh, I, I remember where I was. I, I, have a, I have a decent story as far as redemptive work being done. So I, um, I, I lived a really hard life. Um, it started hard at a very young age, and it continued, to, continued on a, a past, path of hardness and, and darkness, really. And we don't have time to go all that. You're just going to have to trust me. But it, it pinnacled into my late teens and early 20s when I was in a really bad place. I was in a bad place on how I viewed myself. I was in a bad place on how I viewed uh, alcohol. I was in a really bad place on how I viewed women. Like, I, I thought uh, yeah, life was a thing to be partied, uh, and it, I, was, I, was, I was a fun person to be around. Um, but I was not a person who honored God. Uh, and I was just really in a dark place on, like, I don't know how I get out of this rut. I don't know um, how I self-correct or self-set. And I can remember the day where I was laying on a bed, um, uh, nursing the, the consequences of a hard weekend. Um, that was the nicest possible way to say that. <laughs> that was great. We're going to keep it. Yeah, we'll keep that. <laughs> you studied hard. Yeah. yeah. So I was there, and I thought, like, I'm done. I really am done. Like, I don't want, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want... The uh, I just don't want it. Like I'm done. I don't know what the next thing is, but I know this ain't it. And it was no joke. Uh, hours later, uh, God uh, reushered my wife into my life, um, and uh, it was an instantaneous God thing where God put His hand on a situation, He put His hand on a man, and said, "Hey, this is." my plan for you inside of how you, how you get out of that rut. You're going to, one, put your eyes on me, but I've also sent you a helper. 
And that is really, um, I'm not breaking down anything. Like I started off that whole I don't hug a lot to actually have a point. I'm actually really into Nicholas Sparks books. And I really do watch those movies. If you think I'm lying? I got a wife back there that can tell you some stories. I'm a hopeless romantic. I'm absolutely, I'm pretty knowledgeable on all the CW shows right now. <laughs> Again, not joking. This is a safe place. I can be who I want to be up here. Um, but it was evident to me that no, she's not my salvation. If I put all my hope in her, she will fail me. She's a human. If she puts all of her hope in me, I will fail her. I'm a human. But if I put my entire focus on God, God designed a helper. God designed a mate. God designed a somebody to go along life with you. And for me, it was just a little more clear because things are a little clearer when you're down in the dungeon. Things are a little more evident when you're like, hey, I can't make another weekend like this. I need someone who's going to continually pull my head from... Pull my head things. Pull my head out of things. And that's what my wife did. So I totally failed on that one. We'll keep the first one. We're going to lose that one. Um, and we found it was great. Uh, she's a bird. I'm a bird. And then we decided to get married. And uh, we got married really young. He's always joking. I can quote it all day. It's raining, and he's hugging. And he built a house. He had a good beard. Um, no, no. So... But there, there's this plan, right, inside this. So, so God's given us a helper, and, and in a lot of ways, um, personalities and leadership styles are different, right? Um, but uh, she absolutely has submitted to the order of, of family, of church. She knows that, like, hey, I'm going to let Tim uh, be the leader as God's ordained him to, meet, to be. But there has to be um, loving leadership for there to be submission, Right? Like, you, you have to actually be there or, or be uh, a part of the plan for there to be a, a submissive wife, too. So half of the problem in today's world is there's not a guy to be submissive to. There's not the element of, of, of submitting because there's no one to submit to. And if there is someone that there is to submit to, he's not worth anything because he has no clue what he's doing. There's no, there's no love. There's only, he, didn't, he didn't say, hey, love her. He, he also says, don't be harsh. There is so much conflict, so much personality, so much pride, so much hurt inside marriage that you have this mixed battle of like, I, 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 so there's some days I want to submit, but he's just so mean. And there's some days like, I want to love her, but she, she does her own thing and she won't. There's no, there's no teamwork. There's no, there's no unity. There's no peace. There's no, there's no loving each other as, as, as Christ loved the church. Because here's the newsflash, men. In Ephesians, Paul says, hey, men, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Newsflash, Christ died for the church. And there may be a chance, I don't know, I hope not, that you may have to actually jump inside of a, in front of a bullet and take something for your wife. The reality is, that's probably not true. But here's what is true, you're going to have to die to yourself for her. You're absolutely going to have to make it not about you. You're absolutely going to have to make it not about um, the, the image, the appearance. You have to make it about loving your wife sacrificially and saying, Hey, I know this may uh, make my life a little easier, but I know what's best for my family. I know what's best for my wife, and I'm going to sacrifice my desire. I'm going to sorry, sacrifice my want for the greater good. And through that, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And through that, there will be a wife who, in, in God accordance, who said, I'm going to let you lead. There are sometimes I lead because it is my uh, ordained honor. It is not a power struggle. I can, I can demand power, right? 
Like that too many times, I'll give you, sorry, I'm going way off, but you're going to trust me on this. So I work in a detective in crimes against persons, and I specialize in crimes against children. There's two kinds of crimes, crimes against persons, crimes uh, against property, right? So let's just take property out. It has to do with the sermon. But crimes against persons, um, it makes up a large portion of all, all cases and offenses inside uh, cities. So the number one uh, crime against persons, the, the one that has the number one reports, the number one arrests, and the number one imprisonments is family violence. Because too many times we have men who want to force a powerful um, uh, sacrifice versus a loving submission. Because I can't make anyone submit to me. I can be an overlord. I can be powerful. I can fear and intimidate people into things. But that's not submission. That is me taking what I want through power and, and intimidation. Um, the other is someone understanding that I'm going to put their needs first so they're going to submit to me. There are so many times in our marriage that we come together, we put our head together, and we say, what's better for the family unit? And there are times where we have to say, hey, I just need you to trust me. God's ordained me to be a leader. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to run towards him. You're going to run towards him with me. We're going to be side by side, and we're going to do everything for the glory of God. We're going to mess up. We're going to have days that we yell at each other. We're going to have days where I mess up. You're going to have days where you're going to continually not let me get a neck tattoo. But it's, that's actually an argument that's happened so many times. I'm not joking. Um, but there are times where she knows what's best for me and that she wants better things for me than I want for myself. There are times in my marriage that I want things for her that are they're better for the things than that she wants for herself because we love each other. And I'm not painting our marriage to be perfect. I'm just, it's the only example I got. Um, we, we both have moments of brokenness. We both have moments where I'm harsh and she doesn't submit. We, we're not perfect, but God is giving us a blueprint of how to live in peace with each other because outside of that blueprint, there will be no peace. Outside of doing life as God has called us to live, there will be no peace. There will be no hope. God has ordained a plan. God invented and ordained the institution of marriage between a husband and a wife. He has said, hey, the, the husband and the wife, they will leave their parents. They will cling together. They'll become one flesh. And what God puts together, no man can separate. The family is vital. Change happens through the family. The church is made up of family. So through a, a ideological, theological change inside the family saying we are going to put our minds on the things that are above, through that, systemic change happens. Through that, you see people come to know their Savior. Through that, you see churches plant. You see churches grow. There is never going to be a time where we have a healthy church full of people and unhealthy families. There is a rhythm, there is a blueprint, there is a calling, and Christ is not keeping it secret. He's saying, I want all these things for you. I want a beautiful, beautiful marriage for you. Here's what a beautiful marriage isn't. Anything you see on Instagram or in Nicholas Sparks' book. That's not reality. That's Hollywood. None of that will sustain you. None of that will keep you whole. But me and my wife do not have a perfect marriage. But I can tell you, because I've seen with my own eyes, there will be days that I don't think I can get out of bed. There will be days that my heart is broken and that I can't move. And I have a woman who loves me more than I love myself who will come alongside and say, I don't have the answer answers, but I know who we should follow. I, I, I have a wife that, that loves me um, as Christ intended, and I love her like Christ loved the church. Again, not painting us out to be perfect, which is the only marriage I've ever been into. We mess up all the time. Lastly, sorry, I'm going way over, but there, there is a children component to that, right? Because we're supposed to garner the hearts of the, of the people God's put us 
in, in charge of. Whether that be your biological kid or that be a kid that you just get to help raise. There, there is a way. And, and I think Paul actually wrote this for me this week. Because it says, hey, be a good parent. This, hey, be a good family. This, hey, do all this. But fathers, do not... Uh, Sorry, so fathers, do not provoke your children. He could have wrote, Timothy, do not provoke Asher. Um, and that would have been a really good blueprint for this week. Um, because he knows, like, there, there are so many times you're like, I want good things for you, but if I have to break you to get them, I'm going to do it. And that goes against everything we teach here at Trinity Church, so don't do that. Um, we, had a great, uh, we had a great parenting conference three weeks ago. Um, that was really eye-opening um, because the, it's centered around that every opportunity you have with your children is an opportunity to show God's grace. And we talked about how there is so much uh, parallel between how we view God and how a one-year-old views me, right? So my, my son is, I think he's the smartest, but he's probably just pretty average. No offense. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not me. My wife got the worst look I've gotten. Is like, There's nothing average about our baby. Um, but so he, he gets some things. He knows what he likes. He knows what he doesn't like. He knows what's hot. He knows what's cold. He knows spankings hurt. But does he get the cosmic view of the world? Does he understand geopolitics? Does he understand things here and there? No, he doesn't. Um, he views me as the guy who sustains him and who the guy he wants to be. There's a lot of parallels in that in how we live our life in accordance to God's will. I have the all every day of me coming home and taking off my shoes. I've said this before, but it every day stops me in my tracks. I come home, I take off my boots, and then my son puts my boots on and he walks around it. That is the definition of a heart-stopping moment where you realize the, the reality of my importance on this earth is probably just pointing him to Christ. Um, in my 20s, I could have told you the most important thing I do, well, I don't know, make SWAT, make detective, be this, be that. And the older, the older I get, I realize, all oh, that's white noise. It's my calling, and I love it. I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities, as God's called me to do. But the reality is, the, the thing that matters in my life the most is to love her and point them to Christ. That is what we've been called to do, and that is what God will sustain us to do um, if we live in accordance to who He know who He has planned us to be. So tonight was some hard stuff, but uh, y'all are actually pretty attentive, and I like where we got. And gets too many weird looks. I got a weird look right there. I said pretty attentive. I'm not gonna lie to you. There are weeks you're like, all right, that one didn't hit. Not preaching, not hitting fire. My bad. I'll try harder. Um, this week there was a lot of like, yeah, Tim, that's kind of awkward. You said funny dumb stuff. But um, I want us to always understand the importance of how we study the Bible, because this passage is rich. This passage um, can appear awkward at its first glance, but when you dive into it, has sustaining hope, has sustaining power. So um, I've gone way over, and for that, let's do one song. And I'm going to pray over us, and I'm thankful for the opportunity I always have to just stand in front of people I love and talk about a God who gives us hope and for a worship team that can adapt. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we've had just to dive into your letter, to, to, to the letter that was written in, in 60 AD, but is immensely uh, applicable to 2018. God, I pray 
that when we go home and we live our most truest self, which is at home with our family, that we still call you our God and our creator. God, I pray that in the depths of our hardships, when our kids are going crazy and they won't sleep and we're at odds with this this person in our home, that we may stop, push pause and reflect that there is a plan and there is a way. It is a sacrificial love that we have been called to be a part of, that, that our needs come second to the needs of others, and that is how we bring true glory to your name. God, I pray in all things that we glorify you. Amen.